Ideas have consequences, and consequences have ideas. If we don't learn how to think carefully, we will never be able to live rightly. So welcome to Think Through It, a podcast for conversation among friends encouraging one another to think through it. Well, uh, Think Through It is back. Uh, We have taken a multi-year hiatus. (laughs) Uh, there was just so much going on. The church was growing, COVID was happening and it just didn't seem like the most important thing, but I guess now it does. And so, um, I am really excited to reintroduce, think through it with my dear friend and, uh, just one of the guys that I respect and admire and have learned from in so many ways, Colin Hansen from the gospel coalition Colin, thanks for joining us and and really today's conversation. Uh, you know, I'm kind of titling and I'm I'm stealing your own title, yeah. but this idea of resolute hope in an anxious age, um, that's the tagline of your podcast and uh, and I guess book Gospel Bound. Yeah. Um, kind of give me the the background on that idea. Like, why 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 have you been motivated to give a lot of your time and energy to pursuing resolute hope? in an anxious age other than the obvious because it's what the gospel calls us to, but, yeah. but what pushes you to that? Well, thanks Jason. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the, thanks for the good question. And I think Jason, it probably has a lot to do with my training in media and my background in journalism. So I tend to look at things as an editor. I look through things as a journalist trying to size stuff up. And I think one of the things you, you realize from that perspective is that, the news is not designed to make you feel better about the world. It's designed to make you feel worse about the world because anxiety sells. Um, it's it just watch any, I don't know the last time you've watched a local TV broadcast. I mean, a lot of us are not really watching those anymore, but you can just see the way that you're, you're held on because of this, this horrible thing right. or this thing that's this recall of this food that's going to kill your family or this baby stroller and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe you get one feel-good story at the very end. Yeah, you'll get a feel-good story in there too, but it's not necessarily what's hooking you. Right. It's not what's trying to to keep you there. And so I think... Feel-good stories don't sell gold, you know? Yeah, yeah, but a perfect example, yeah. (laughs) Just listen to any talk radio station and the economy is terrible. Now's the best time ever to buy gold. (laughs) Uh, yeah, you can bury it in your backyard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in there. So, and I think it's a function of our consumerism as well, uh, that we sell obsolescence. We sell problems. Your life is our politics, our media, and our economy all sell dissatisfaction. You're angry about the state of the world. Vote for this group. You're scared of what's going to happen to your kids. Watch this TV. Um, You're not satisfied in your life. So buy this thing, which is going to bring you satisfaction. So I think when you pull that all together, you realize that we're anxious for a reason. Yeah. And not only that, but instead now, it's not just when you decide to sit down and turn on the TV or when you walk out in the front porch and you pick up the newspaper. Now it's on your person at all times. It's the notifications on your phone. It's the text messages that you get. Um, I kind of notice with my friends that I don't tend to get 
positive text messages from them. Right, yeah. It's usually something critical or something bad that's happened. So I think just for my own sanity's sake and ultimately for my faith, I've needed to say, if I'm not seeing God working, then I'm just not looking hard enough mm-hmm. because he is the same God who, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the same God who resurrected Jesus from the dead. He's the same God who, I mean, same Jesus who intercedes now on behalf of the Father, the same Father and Son who send the Holy Spirit as our comforter. That's not changed. And so a lot of what I've done is, for my own sake, as well as for for others in the church, is to is to remind them that this God is still true and he's still at work. And when you just, I guess, Jason, this is part of what I've noticed a lot, and this even come up in surveys, when you ask people about the state of the world, they think it's terrible. You ask them about the state of the country, they think it's terrible. You ask them about their families, their community, their church, their neighborhood. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah. And I keep asking people, why do you think those two things are true at the same time? And I try to tell them it's because of what's mediating them in between. It's the messages they're hearing. Um, if all sorts of people are pretty happy with their lives, but dissatisfied with the world, it might be because somebody is trying to sell you dissatisfaction. Right, which is what the media does. It's but it all, also our advertising. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, or just look, you and I love sports. Well, every single, I mean, almost every advertisement now is about gambling, okay? Well, where's all this money coming from? It's from people's dissatisfaction because they're losing Right, right. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't be advertising this. Yeah. If they were losing money. The companies money, are winning. Yeah. The companies are winning, which means you are losing. And you, if you can see that in gambling, then perhaps you can see that in cars or in right. homes or in vacations or whatever else you try to use to satisfy you in a way that only God can ultimately satisfy. You know, I think that to that kind of idea, one of the books that, I've read in the past couple of years that's been so informative. And I think you have talked about this mm-hmm. is the, the, um, the anxious age, Joseph bottoms. And he talks uh-huh. about the post Protestant ethic mm-hmm. and his kind of ideology is that Protestantism is in a sense, gives shape, um, to our life, but it, it's not, it's not Protestantism in a sense proper. Yeah. And that kind of where he goes with it is he puts a lot of emphasis on the, sanctification ethic or the proving of yourself ethic. Um, it's not a, it's not a proving yourself that, you know, as we understand in Christianity is the finished work of Christ that we can rest in that ultimately is our Mm -hmm. peace. That is our hope. It's this idea of sanctification that you have to keep proving your justification. You have to keep proving that you're in it. And, and I think that that ideology (laughs) and in his mind, he's, he's breaking it away from, he's, he's talking about it in a secular age. How do I keep proving that I'm okay? And, and I think this is a little bit of what you're, you're, you're talking about that, that media yeah. kind of preys on this. It's like, okay, we well, have been successful. You have a nice home, but what if you had a boat um, or you <laughs> have been successful, you have had a nice home or what if you won the lottery or, yeah. you know, or what if you, you know, had the security of gold or whatever it is. Yeah. And so it, it, it preys on that, kind of feeling that we all have of like a need to justify ourselves all the more rather than, and again, I love your podcast title, like 
rather than the resolute hope that the gospel gives us that I am complete and secure in Christ. Sure, it's great to have a boat. It may be great to have gold, but I don't need those things. Like I, I don't need that. I don't have to prove anything. I, I can rest in the finished work of Christ. And so, yeah, I think the, the less and less we believe that, um, the more and more anxious our age will become. A good example here would come from a book I read a number of years ago. It was about the different nations within North America and especially the United States, i.e. the differences between the Deep South and New England, um, all these nations that trans and some of the state boundaries, but have become this conglomeration of the United States. And one of the things that was really helpful there is recognizing that New England is now the most secular, or maybe along with the Pacific Northwest, most secular part of the country. And it started as this place of incredible religious fervor but that would but that perspective of from the plates you know the the first great awakening to secularism masks the fact that in many fundamental ways nothing has changed it is still the seat of moral transforming zeal mm-hmm. in the united states it right. comes out of new england it is still the sense that we must be seeking forms of of a morality of right. even perfection except now what's missing is the end of being God's glory, as Jonathan Edwards talked about in Western Massachusetts, aim of God's glory and the means of God's grace. Right. Yeah. To overcome in our inability and give us the power, the spiritual power to be able to pursue holiness. It, it's a totally humanistic pursuit of it's, holiness. It's this worldly. Yeah. It, it's pursuing aims in this world by means in this world, but still with a transcendent guilt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no wonder you're anxious because right. you believe this world needs to be perfected. It is my job to perfect it. There are all these terrible people who are getting in my way and I have no means outside of my own moral zeal and my you know, fastidiousness and my political donations and whatever else to affect this change. Right. And it has to happen in this life because this is all we have. Right, right. Well, it's the same thing, which but again, which, which, which creates more anxiety. The, which the creates timeline even gets shorter, greater. Yeah. So you know, you're just asking why? Why are we feeling so anxious? Well, it's because we are still human beings with guilt, and we still will still feel a sense, but made in the image of God, of hopefulness for a different world. But we don't have the sense of responsibility and accountability, but also care that comes from a transcendent God, who is also personal one who is distant but also near to us, that actually brings great comfort. Right. Always has to people. I was just working through something similar, and and our circumstances are not nearly as bad for most of us as many different times in history. So you wonder, how could those people have been more anxious? Well, part of it is they didn't have as high a hopes for this world. They had more hopes in the next. Right. And I think there is a sense in which we we do put too much hope here and not enough hope in, we put too much hope on trying to resolve all of our injustices here, which I hope we can resolve as many of them as we can, but not enough on the justice that comes with God. Right. And ultimately with Christ upon his return. And, and obviously even our own identity. I mean, if you have to make a name for yourself, you have yeah. to 
be wealthy. You you have to achieve these things in order to meet your whatever. Leave a legacy. Yeah, I, I call it, there, there's the narrative. You you yeah. have to live by the narrative and it's your narrative, not God's narrative, yeah. which it's, it's hard to have a satisfying narrative. In fact, impossible to have a satisfying, a narrative that's ultimately satisfying because of course we were built to be a part you of have God's to, greater story. I mean, Jason, you have to fit in with everyone but also be completely unique. You have to choose every single thing for yourself. Every where you're going to live, what your career is going to be, which which uh, whether it be attracted to men or women, whether you be attracted to both, whether or not you will be a man and woman, whether you will be um, non-binary, and all of this you have to figure out on your own without any help from any authorities because you can't trust the authorities. Oh, and by the way, you need to do this around puberty. Right, yeah. Age. Oh, and with social media, with all of your peers, and that's going to travel with you on a smartphone. I mean, I don't think you could design a better recipe for right, yeah. A, you know, culture-wide anxiety. Yeah. And so I think when something like COVID-19, which is so terrible has had come, we were just not in uh, not emotionally prepared to handle something like right. that. We're like a culture that was we weren't emotionally prepared and, and we had the recipe to take something that that was a big deal, but but basically take that and then you know then the media kicks in again and yeah. and the whole cycle starts over. And freak and, about it freak out about it in a million different ways. That's right. And Unique fear just ourselves. grows and you're not doing what you should be doing and blaming everybody else right. for everything, justifying ourselves because other people are wrong telling everybody else believe the science. Meanwhile, we don't believe the science. Telling everybody that it's... There's a great article right now out in the National Review on this, telling everybody it's a conspiracy. Well, meanwhile, a million people are dying. Right, yeah. I mean, just the whole thing was a recipe. It, what it did is it laid bare our cultural anxieties. Yeah. And um, I hope there's an opportunity now to step back and say... I didn't handle that very well. <laughs> well. And this should be, and this is, I think, something that gives me heartache as a Christian pastor. I'm sure you yeah. heartache as a Christian journalist, thought leader. This should be one of those moments. This, I mean, this should be, or it could be, a second century moment for us where the church yeah. actually has an opportunity. Yeah. But, you know, we, you and I were just talking about this article David French wrote um, where he basically contrasts Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. And it's it's like Christians in this age have a maybe a positive vision and maybe even a righteous vision, but we will use any means necessary. We will we will become as worldly as we possibly can be to achieve Christianity. So we'll we'll, we'll use worldliness to achieve Christianity rather than pursuing Christianity as Christians uh, and with holiness and with purity. And the, and the article was just comparing and contrasting Lord of the Rings that actually is skeptical of power, skeptical of authority, skeptical of those things. And it's like the only way to defeat evil is actually be pure versus Game of Thrones that will use any means necessary if it's if you're achieving the right end. It's, it's a very well-written piece, but I think it totally describes, I think what I would say this missed opportunity in large part, again, I think a lot of Christians took advantage of the opportunity and the, the glory of the Lord was certainly shown. I think a lot of Christians jumped into the whole worldliness of the moment. And uh, I think it, it has cost us greatly. 
Well, it's almost like the book of Romans tells us to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with right. good. Right, exactly. It's almost like this was all, you know. Like God foretold, had this like in God mind. Had a, yeah, yeah. God had this in mind and, and warned us about these things. I think, you know, Jason, one of the most um, distressing things for me, and this hit before COVID, and a lot of it's just because of the position that I'm in, I found that a number of respected Christian leaders, all the way down to ordinary Christians, all the way down to pastors who are trying in their own way to be faithful. But at some level, many Christians believe that if I lie, but good results, they they lie for the sake of truth. Right, yeah. They will tell lies about other people but it's okay if they lie because it's still in service of a greater good of truth. And I saw that well before COVID, which seemed to have laid bare some of that more broadly. And I think it illustrates exactly what you're talking about, but I, I don't, I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's helpful in the long run. And and what I've seen is there's always, there, there's always a greater cost in the long run. I, oh Yeah. It's the, somebody yeah. gave the, the analogy of like, you don't kill a fly with a sledgehammer, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's like the fly you might be the dead. Fly, but you have a hole in the wall. That's right. You yeah, have a exactly. bigger problem than you had when yeah. there was just a fly in your house. Yeah, good point. And uh, I think that that's happened in Christian circles so many times where, yes, I mean, I understand the impulse. I understand the anxiety. I understand the concern. But the means by which I think Christians have dealt with issues in large part, and again, there's so many exceptions to this, but... I think some of this that we're feeling right now, um, you know, in in Christian circles, is is these worldly impulses in the name of Christianity. Um, well, there was I was talking with a prominent author back in 2015, and he said something so interesting. He said, "Well, we need, well, and like we need," he said, "Christianity." Well, he said, "America is the last hope for Christianity." And I thought, well, I must have misheard you. Christianity is the last hope of America. America, said, no, 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 right. no. Yeah, yeah. America is the last hope of Christianity. And so there is a strong sense in which if America's political situation is not okay, then Christianity will fail. Right. That's, I think that's, that's a very, very predominant. strong, maybe even dominant view among Americans. I think that came out of the Cold War in a sense. Like that's a good point. It, it, that's it, a good it point. Was you you need to be concerned? Yeah. It, it, this kind of weird blending of capitalism, American strength, and the hope of the gospel all kind of merged together. And there was certainly some good that came out of that. I wouldn't critique that whole thing, but yeah. I, I I see among you know particularly baby boomers. I mean, I remember. Yeah. Uh, one time at, you know, when I was pastoring at First Covington, I kind of chided the congregation one time because uh, we had a military guy come or, or one of our, you know, guys that was in the military and everybody like jumped to their feet and raucous applause for him, which again, I'm very grateful for the American military. So yeah. this is not, it's ne it wasn't necessarily a critique of that, but then there was a missionary that, you know, had come home from the field yeah had been faithfully serving the Lord. And there was kind of like half-hearted, like, oh, it's nice to have him here. And, you know, I kind of basically said to the congregation, like, you know, guys, you know, we should be cheering on our missionaries to, to a much greater end. You know, they're going out to the ends of the earth 
to see the advance of the gospel. And one of the older members of the congregation came to me and said, well, if there wasn't a strong military, we couldn't have missionaries. And, you know, again, it's that same ideology, America's the last great hope. And so I I do think that is a result of a messaging from the Cold War. Um, And it just shows how a lot of times, it's kind of exactly what we're talking about. With good intentions, we can create a bigger theological issue um, that that ultimately comes back to bite us, and, and not to and not to undersell the problems. A, a political disaster in Russia becomes atheistic Soviet Union, and then atheistic China. So in that era, they're real concerns. Right, I mean, the right. politics does matter. Um, but again, I think you're exactly right. The question is: Are we doing these things by the fruit of the spirit? Fruit of the spirit are not negotiable. For us, we are simply not allowed as Christians the leeway by God for our own good and for his glory to pursue worldly, uh, pursue godly ends by worldly means. So kind of shifting gears, yeah. but but similarly related, and, and I've heard you talk about um, one of the things that makes kind of faith in a secular age really hard. And I think in one sense, it's that we haven't understood the secular age, that the secular age isn't some like neutral or universal values age. It was actually built by Christianity. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, with the, the the systems that Christianity, if you will, built that are still in place, like this idea of freedom or this idea of industry, yeah. um, we've removed the, the proper ends that Christianity mm-hmm. actually gives us or the the church that actually helps hold uh, all of these values together has been removed and it's it's left us in an incredibly awkward and strange and and I would say confusing time for a lot of Christians help help us think through that or, or give a synopsis of of the, those arguments that I've heard you make yeah so um we we live in a time where we are far more Christian than people will, most people will admit. And especially in Tom Holland's work, he's shown that the way we often confuse things is by saying that something that's uniquely Christian is actually universal, Um, like human rights or the dignity of the oppressed or minority rights or things like that. And so we show up and we say, this is universal. This and is the example a, of Iraq is a great example. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's one of the things that when I was talking with Joseph Henrik of, of Harvard about what he discovered about the origins of Western culture and its Christianity, I said, well, this explains the challenges in the Middle East so well, or even continuing closer to our own time, Afghanistan, about how well you can't just drop a bunch of bombs on a place and then say, hey, you're welcome, democracy, and have people say... But we're just not interested in that. We it are, wasn't just Saddam Hussein that was the issue. It was the it, barrier it, to democracy. It, yeah. it's, it's it's tribal dynamics that are at their core deeply human that Christianity has affected a massive change with over, over a long period of time. And there are many, many, many benefits that have come from that. But again, what's confusing is that we say, no, 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 that's not Christianity. So I go back to the UN Declaration of Human Rights back in 1948 and not referencing God. 
It's trying to say these are universal values by which all of us live. And then you stop and think, not even the majority of people in this world would acknowledge these things. Right. But Westerners pretend like they're, you know, pretend like they're universal. So then it becomes confusing because we're deeply Christian, but we won't acknowledge Christianity. We don't have any of the resources of Christianity, the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Not only that, we then fault Christians for not being Christian enough by falling short as hypocrites sometimes, or just as being inconsistent for tolerating things like abuse, okay? And then we turn around and then also blame Christianity for all of the problems right. in the culture. That's Charles Taylor's discussion of the coming-of-age narrative. Right. So no wonder this is so confusing where we are distinctly Christian, using that to fault Christians for not being Christian enough, but not by reference to Christianity, and saying, in fact, it actually is Christianity that causes all of the problems if we would just get over it. Yeah. And everybody just knows this because why? Who knows? It's the 20-year-old girl (laughs) that uses her parents' gas card to buy a bunch of snacks to give to the homeless while she's critiquing her parents for not being kind enough to the homeless people. Yeah. That's a, that's a good illustration. Yeah, but that is the coming-of-age narrative. Yeah, you know. and a um, illustration. And, and, and that, but, that, but that for a Christian, I mean, unless... Yeah. Unless you're Colin Hansen. I mean, I'm just thinking of like yeah. normal people that haven't like done a great survey yeah. of Western civilization yeah. and understood this. That that makes this moment, I think, incredibly confusing. It can make it disorienting. Yeah. Uh, they don't, it's hard to understand their critiques. It's hard to understand what, what, what maybe I'm not being Christian enough. Maybe, maybe I should be yeah. more accepting and loving or whatever it may be. Maybe I've gotten Christianity wrong after all the whole world's telling me I'm wrong. And so that that makes, I think, this moment and really one of the hopes of Think Through It, why I think we need more resources like the Gospel Coalition, yeah. like Think Through It, like, you know, I think faithful Bible preaching to form an age of Christians. We, we An age of Christian complacency yeah. will will not stand yeah. uh, in a secular age. Well, I, I mean, I try to be really concrete about this because ultimately we, we started out talking about where to find hope and where I come back in a very concrete way is to say, you're not going to have to try as hard as in previous times to be distinct as a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Just by doing basic things, you're going to be marked out as a Christian and lean into those things with joy. So I think a lot about, one of my good friends up in the Upper West Side um, actually has moved north um, in New York, and they've got four kids. Look, if you've got four kids in New York, there's only a few things that can be true of you. Yeah, You're Orthodox Jewish, you're serious Catholic, you're Mormon, or an evangelical. Right, yeah. There's not really too many options, but somebody knows you're religious. Right. And they can usually tell by the dress, okay, you're not Orthodox Jew. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. are you Mormon or are you Catholic? So, They're just basic, basic things. If you just believe that children are a gift of God. You're going to be distinct. You're going to be different. If you just get married at a young age because you value marriage and the covenant of marriage and because you believe also that sex is reserved for a man and a woman in marriage, you're going to be distinct. If you just have dinner together and you invite over your neighbors 
you're going to be distinct. If you're the person at work who takes an interest in your coworkers and asks how they're doing and seeks to go out of your way to help them, you're going to be distinct. So in all these different ways, yes, it's very confusing, but the methods by which we respond to it are not different. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're just living out the faith in the same ways we've always been called to. And, and being okay with being distinct from the world, which we're always like, just read the new Testament, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. called to be strangers and aliens. I, I think we have gotten yeah. used to a Christian era that is uncommon. Um, yeah. And, but it's not uncommon to the Lord. It's, it's certainly not uncommon to the, to the global church. It's just, it's uncommon to an age that a lot of Christians yeah. in America post-World War II grew up in. Well, let me, let me just ask this, Jason, if, if, if the world is truly, and especially Western culture, we're talking in the United States, is truly as anxious as we make it out to be and dissatisfied, what exactly are we trying to fit into? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I'm just <laughs> trying to think here. Now, I haven't faced this choice, so I'm not trying to beat up on everybody listening here, but I know you've got a lot of young people listening to this as well. But I'm thinking, you know, the young woman, your daughter, who comes to you asking for a smartphone, and she says, everybody else has it. And of course, as a parent, you're thinking, well, I don't want my daughter to be left out. I don't want my, my daughter to be a weirdo. You know, you want, your, you want your kids to fit in at that level. But if you listen to the Gospel Coalition Scrolling Alone podcast, um, talking to actual young women, what exactly do you not, what exactly do you want your What's daughter to about fit that? into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, 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 what part of this culture do you think is going to be beneficial for her? Right. Is it, is it the, the terrible body image? Is it the terrible social anxiety? Is it the bullying? Is it the mocking? Is it the addiction? Is it the, the constant uh, reference to the self? You know, putting yourself... What, what are you trying to fit into? Um, if you're actually loving your daughter... At some level, you're going to have to resist these things. Right. I'm not here to tell you exactly how that looks, but what are you trying to conform? It's 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 like the parents who say, "Well, the kids are going to get drunk, so let's just get them all drunk yeah, at the house." house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what exactly is your plan? Well, my son's going to become addicted to pornography, so I might as well give him a smart phone. What? What? I mean, what? What exactly is the plan? Yeah, here. Um, so yeah, it just comes from a basic recognition that we are called to live in the world and loving our neighbors, but to not be of the world, but to be belong to our heavenly father there. And Jesus showed us the way to do that. And the early church modeled that. And this is the, this is the part so beautiful in Acts 2, 42, um, 48, we see that and, and their numbers were added to, mm -hmm. it was precisely because they were distinct that they were appealing. Yeah. Our neighbors are not happy in so many different ways, but they don't know the alternative. That's right. And that's and our We're chance. the ambassadors. We're, we're the, the ambassadors to show them. What have you been thinking about? I mean, what's what has Colin Hansen been yeah. working on thinking about? What is kind of your, uh, you know, what's been scratching your mind? Yeah. What's been. Well, over I would, I am, I am, I continue to be in the throes of, a really exciting project. It's um, 
It's my book, Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation, due February 2023, when it'll, it'll come out, Lord willing. Um, it's got to go to press uh, earlier than that. So I have immersed myself for three years. Uh, well, longer than that, but but um, very intentionally for three years in Tim Keller's life. And I'm I'm more convinced than ever before, even as as Tim has come under a fair bit of uh, criticism, um, most of which I think is is unwarranted, that he offers us a a path forward along these lines of how to be, um, as, I, as I like to say it, especially uh, borrowing from language in, in Paul's letters to the to the Corinthian church, that we are when we're bound to the gospel, we abound in hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he illustrates that so well of of how he describes being a counterculture for the common good. The way he mixes up these different influences of being faith of being orthodox and yet modern. So it's and I thought I knew Tim pretty well, but working with him on this project, which is really focusing on his influences, right? The people who the people and the ideas and the events that made him um, has just opened up a lot of really encouraging uh, ways forward and ways of thinking that I I just um, didn't know, even as I've followed him pretty closely for the last uh, 15 years. So that's been an exciting, fun project. I hope people will benefit from it um, half as much as I have. So, so what it. would you say that is, you know, the defining, I mean, being bound to the gospel, I yeah. mean, but the defining characteristic of Tim and and how he thinks and how would you talk about kind of that seed? Yeah. So um, the way that I found it to be so helpful to folks came from a video that Tim had done with Don Carson and John Piper years ago for the gospel coalition. He described formation as being like rings on a tree. And what I love about that thought is that it shows you how Tim started off. He had a profound conversion in the spring of 1970 as a sophomore at Bucknell, transformed his life, and he never got over the gospel. He never got over grace. He never got over the wonder of Jesus. Still hasn't uh, to this day as he continues. His instinct is always to seek deeper communion with God. So it goes back to that, that same core. And then over time, it just keeps adding different rings, different layers, growing and expanding. But what I see so often, Jason, is that our temptation is instead of building out rings on a tree, it's to kind of hop from lily pad to lily pad. I'm 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 hot on this person right now, and now I'm jumping to this idea. Now right, I'm fascinated yeah. with this, and we kind of confuse maturity with transform with changing our ideas. I used to be into that. Now I'm on onto this. I think maturity definitely looks more like that that sturdy oak and um, that it expands. And that's what allows you to dive in and be curious about so many different ideas and people, but still remain true to Christ at your core. And um, so I think that's the essence of of of, of uh, who he is. Uh, and you can see why he's so influenced by the neo-Calvinist tradition of Kuiper and Bavink because he's this combination of modern and orthodox. It's got an orthodox core, but applies it to modern issues. Yeah. And um, and I think when you go back, Jonathan Edwards did the same thing. Right. When you go back, John Calvin 
did the same thing. And, and, and you and go back, al- Augustine did yeah, the same it thing. It allows you to have a future vision and not just a reactionary yeah, it's idea. Not ne- it's, it, 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 you don't fall prey to the nostalgic um, you know, fallacy that, that things were always great back then, but right. you don't fall into the progressive fallacy either that we just need to overcome the past. It allows you to be anchored in the past, but proceeding toward the kingdom that is coming. Mm. in there and um i just i i don't i don't i think that's in season no matter what the season is yeah it's good in this anxious age perfect recipe for anxiety as we said earlier what's a story that gives you hope where you see the gospel at work yeah where you see lives being changed where you see um you know i, I would say what fuels your hope yeah. and your work What's a story that does that? Yeah, ultimately, there's no doubt that's the scriptures themselves and what they testify to and story after story after story after story. I mean, I get, get a chance every night with my kids to read through and just going back using Kevin DeYoung's uh, Story Bible now, going back through all these Old Testament stories, obviously, the the Daniels and the Nehemiahs and everybody else from there. But I just derive so much hope from history um, and I think one of my previous works was a history of revival. And by definition, things are never great before a revival. Yeah, yeah you, you have to be revived. Right? <laughs> you have to be revived. So, so if you think that we don't have any reason to hope if we despair, well, that's just the recipe. That's the recipe for revival. Hopefully you get desperate enough that you pray to the Lord saying, I got nothing. Mm-hmm. We, if we don't have you, we have nothing. Um, and, and then where the confession of sin then follows when people start to get real with each other. Um, so I look back and I think about two incredibly anxiety-inducing moments in the lifetimes of many Americans still today. You mentioned the Cold War. I go back to nineteen, you know, the late 1940s and think about how scary it would have been to have lived through two world wars to live through the spread of communism and the advent of the atomic bomb. I mean, that, that's got to be one of the scariest moments ever. And yet, that's the time that gives us Billy Graham, Martin Luther King Jr., and an amazing, amazing revival. And then I think about the tumult of the 1960s. People often compare our era to that. And, and I think they had kind of more disenchantment to go through than we do because right. we live post that period. But of the World War II generation running up into the hippie generation and 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 just the disaster at every level of the Vietnam War. And yet that's the time that gave us the Jesus movement. That's when Tim Keller is coming to the Lord. Um, that's when Ray Ort I mean, all these people that we so, look up I mean, yeah. to. I mean, really, like our parents th- those of exactly. our parents that really are serious about the faith were saved at that time. That's when they that's when they were saved. And so um just that, that we're never too far gone for the Lord's resurrecting power to work. And if that's what you're oriented toward, then you have every reason, no matter what, to hope as we work for change. But if you invest all of your hope, which I see so many people both left and right doing now, into our ability to affect all of this change immediately ourselves, primarily through uh, worldly methods or even just good common grace methods like politics. Um, it can be a perfectly worthwhile thing, 
but we get into an overrealized eschatology, expecting mm-hmm. that to solve the problems, and the overrealized eschatology leads us to toward a another you know, another big phrase, a hermeneutic of suspicion, yeah, and blame right. toward others, and that is a recipe for losing our bearings to that gospel hope. So, yeah, I mean, uh, those those are the stories that fuel me, the biblical stories, and and in our book. With Sarah Zalstra, my book, Gospel Bound, Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. We've just packed that book full of those stories and hope they're encouraging to people. Well, Gospel Bound, Rediscovering Church, many other helpful books uh, that Colin has written over the years. And of course, he's got this uh, biography of Tim Keller coming up in February. You can listen to his podcast, Gospel Bound. You can see uh, his editorial work and writing at Gospel Coalition. Uh, Colin, so grateful for your life and ministry. Thanks for this. You've given us a lot to think through. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was really the hope. It was a great uh, relaunch um, of this podcast that I hope will be helpful. So for Colin Hansen, I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it. Thanks for listening to Think Through It. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com.